Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants, and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, world without end. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, the 55th chapter. O oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the righteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here ends the reading.
A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out, so that you may be able to endure it. Here ends the reading. The Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Listen with me for the word of God. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. 
Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. There's a great scene in the TV show Seinfeld when George Costanza is trying to get to know his new love interest. They're going for a walk in Central Park, New York City. And there's a person on horseback who trots by them and uh, leaves something behind on the trail. And as they're walking, George almost steps in it. He turns to this woman, who he obviously likes a lot, and says, horse manure is not that bad. In fact, I don't even mind the word manure. It's newer, which is good, and a ma in front of it. Ma, newer. When you think about the other options, manure is actually refreshing. Well, it's about a moment later when um, the woman says to George that she has a boyfriend. So much for that and for... <laughs> it wasn't going to work out for George. I, I wonder how it would have been if he didn't mention that word. Could he have just left that out? When Jesus was telling this parable, did he have to include that word? The word in ancient Greek, kopra. In your King James Bible, it translates dung, animal waste. But actually, just a few moments earlier, Jesus said another word that's even more offensive. Repent. The context for all of this in Luke chapter 13, there is a group of people who are spending a lot of time with Jesus, trying to get close to him, listening to him, wanting to understand his way of life. And if we had a hunch that they were the apostles, I think that the Gospel writer of Luke would have included their names in the storytelling. But by keeping them anonymous, we can imagine that they're just normal, everyday people like you and me. And these normal, everyday people are doing what people do. They're talking about the news. Namely, the story about how Pilate, that governor with a penchant for brutality, how he killed those Galileans and he took their blood and mingled it with the blood of the sacrifices, incredibly dishonorable and disrespectful to the people who died. They're talking about this. You know how this is because we talk about things that happen all around us too, don't we? 
Isn't it amazing how bad news travels faster than good news sometimes? Why is that? I've actually tried to research this a little bit, and a couple things that I read say that there are too many variables at play to really understand the phenomenon of how and why bad news travels. It's just left to our own speculation. But we have this way of talking about the bad things that happen in other people's lives. Why is that? I believe it's because when we know about other people who are suffering and experiencing loss, it makes us feel better about our lives because we haven't experienced that dreadful thing that somebody else is going through. And we like to talk about it because the more detail that we know, the more we can differentiate ourselves from their suffering. It makes us feel like we escaped. So these people are talking about this horrible thing that happened to those Galileans, and whew, they, they must have really messed up. They must have been awfully sinful for such a bad thing to happen to them. Jesus, of course, always has a way of taking the situation and turning it around because these people were following a line of theological thought that was very prominent back in ancient times, which said, if you are bad, bad things will happen to you. If you do bad things, look for more bad things to happen to you. Now, that's actually a, a strain of thought that we find woven in and out of passages of the Old Testament. Jesus here, though, is offering a corrective. He says, instead of being so caught up and worried about what those other people have experienced, how about you? You ought to repent yourself. And Jesus brought up another news story about the Tower of Siloam. It fell over, killed 18 people. He said, do you really think that those 18 people were such horrible offenders? Did you think that they deserved that bad thing to happen to them? Of course not. But instead of being so worried about how awful they were, how about you look at yourself? How about you repent? This is an incredibly powerful word for us because we find ourselves talking about what's happening, don't we? We talk about the calamities happening in other nations. We talk about crime happening in Salisbury, Rowan County. We identify it, we wipe the sweat from our brow and say, I'm glad that's not me. And we're curious to learn more about what's happening. And we wonder what could have been wrong in that person's life that such a horrible thing happened. Jesus, Jesus is offering this very difficult word to hear. Repent. To repent means to turn away from what you used to do toward what you should do. To turn away from violence and deceit and doing harm toward doing good, working for healing, working for justice. It means turning away from all of those thoughts and actions that would threaten to undo our relationship with God in favor of a new resolve to being united with God for God's purposes in the world. Repent. 
It's one of the themes for the season of Lent, and it's the word that we need to hear today. Instead of being so caught up in identifying what is wrong with those people over there, how about you look at yourself and say, where do I need to make a change? When we think about the loss and hardship that we experience in our lives, oftentimes we develop what Pete Scazzaro calls defensive maneuvers to help protect ourselves. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Chapter 5, he identifies several behaviors that we adopt in our lives, again, to protect ourselves, or so we think. We end up just making the mess even worse, though. Some of these defensive maneuvers include rationalization, denial, intellectualizing the situation. Sometimes we blame others. Other times we get hostile. And sometimes we take up substances, thinking that we can numb the pain. We take on these behaviors oftentimes thinking that we are, are helping ourselves, protecting ourselves, but, but we're actually making a difficult situation even worse. I wonder what it would look like today if you and I would let go of those harmful behaviors and if we would humbly recognize the changes that we need to make and if we would simply, simply repent. Now, the good news of the gospel is found in the parable that Jesus tells. And I want to make sure that you hear it. Because this parable, like all of Jesus' parables, he uses earthly, everyday things in order to explain something that's heavenly and significant in meaning. Now, most of Jesus' parables have a way of describing the kingdom of God what it means to live within God's reign here on earth. We need to be careful not to try to assign a one-to-one -one correlation, like this person is God and that person is me. We need to be careful about that sort of thing. We need to just sort of live into the parable to understand its wisdom. And I think what you'll find is that this parable actually is refreshing. Jesus says, it's kind of like a gardener who, who is keeping watch over the garden. The owner notices that this tree, it should be bearing fruit, but it's not. For three years, he's been coming out checking this tree. It hasn't borne any fruit yet. Frustrated, he says, you know what? I'm tired of this tree. Let's cut it down. I'm through. The gardener says, um, how about this? How about we just give it another year? I'm going to dig around it, and I'm going to put on it, that's right, manure. And we're going to see what happens a year from now. This is, I believe, a refreshing approach to understanding repentance. Because repentance takes time. It takes patience. It takes perseverance, the same kind of patience and perseverance that's needed for a farmer to bring forth a crop. 
I don't know about you, but I feel like growing up, when I would hear a preacher like me standing up talking about repentance, it was something like, you need to make all of these changes in your life that are extraordinarily difficult right now. Right now, you need to change everything. What's black is now white. What's left is now right. What's up is now down. Everything that is wrong, you need to change it immediately, right now. And if you don't, then God's going to come and zap you. Now, I don't know if a preacher ever put it quite that way, but that's the way I heard it. How about you? Here's what Jesus is saying. We notice the need for growth. So let's work toward growth. In the same way that a gardener needs to persevere for a long period of time, because for that tree to, bore, to, to bear fruit, you've got to pick weeds. You've got to water the tree. You've got to tend to the garden. You dig around, you put what's needed, and somebody's got to get their hands dirty placing the manure around the tree so that growth can come forth. It, but it's going to take time. The work of repentance takes time. Recognizing changes that need to be made. Attitudes that were never helpful to begin with. Bigotry and hatred that was wrong from the beginning. Actions and behaviors that you think were right were actually wrong all along. These sorts of things, we identify them, we work on them, and by God's grace, we can change. Little bit by little bit. Let's give it a year. Let's be patient. Let's look for growth. This is the work of repentance. Does it mean doing a 180-degree turn? Absolutely. It likely won't happen the way you want to instantaneously, however. The wisdom of this parable is so refreshing. It's recognizing the slow work of God within us. It begins with you repenting, recognizing the need for transformation. And so, dear friends, I invite you to stand as we join together in confessing our sins. All who truly and earnestly repent of your sins and seek to live in love and charity with your neighbors and intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and make your humble confession to Almighty God. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, 
forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Please be seated.